Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. to episode number 135 of the podcast and today I have an absolute treat for you. Three-time World Cup superstar, 110 caps for the Matildas, scored an amazing goal on debut at 17 years of age, 28 goals for Australia in total. Not only that, the first ever Australian female to play soccer in South America, um, also represented clubs in Sweden, uh, in the US League as well, Um, and that is none other than Matilda royalty, Joey Peters. Now, for you, if you haven't heard of Joey Peters, it's um, this. The story today is going to blow your mind, and the main thing behind it is just how far women's sports come since Joey started her career back in 1996, and um, the heartache that she had to go through um, from not being a professional to being on the dole, cleaning toilets, um, and just basically living paycheck to paycheck to try and fund her way to represent Australia and do the thing that she loves. So awesome story, and there's so many cool takeaways from that, and, and I suppose that leads into the great work that Joey's doing now with Gameplay Learn and basically making coaching and teaching fun. And we're going to talk about a lot of different philosophies there and the great work she's doing now. So not only are you going to really enjoy her story because I was really blown away from particularly like her first paycheck um, and just a whole heap of other things that you don't really hear about, but you know that there's a huge gap in obviously uh, men's to females. And um, it's yeah really staggering and it's some really good insight about mindset, uh, putting that aside and you know really being grateful for the things that you do have. So, um, so many takeaways, coaches, teachers, parents, athletes, kids, adults, grandparents, anybody, you need to listen to today's episode because Joey Peters is going to blow your mind. This is episode number 135. Welcome back to the podcast. I am super excited. I've got Joey Peters, former Matilda Vice Captain and now just coaching extraordinaire. How are you, Joey? Hi, Dale. Fantastic to be here, mate. Uh, Yeah, appreciate the chat opportunity to do this. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Now, we're going to get into, obviously, your stellar career and then, obviously, what you're doing now with Gameplay Learn and everything like that. But I want you to sort of paint a picture of your upbringing. I know you come from a large family in the country. Uh, well, I, I've actually got a large family now, but I, I was quite—I was from a modest family, yeah, out in a little country town, New South Wales, called Leeton. Uh, did my primary schooling there, and it's very much a, a multi-sport identity. I grew up with playing—I think it was seven sports I counted in wow. one year. Um, yeah, but my 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 first love has always been football or, or the round ball football, soccer. Yeah. For those of you that uh, have different football codes. Um, yeah, so I really loved that and, and seemed to excel most in, in football. So our family ended up moving to Sydney for, for my high schooling and from there I was able to be identified and went to uh, the New South Wales Academy at the time, which um, also the likes of Harry Kuehl and Brett Emerton, um, Nikki Carl, the, the great Australian players, uh, male players, they were in there as well. And so I was able to experience some great development and and then um, debuted for the Matildas when I was 17 at the in my last year of schooling. So that kick-started a 13-year career that, um, yeah, just gave me a lot of great experiences, three World Cups, um, the Athens Olympic Games in 2004 and um, playing overseas professionally um, in Sweden and Brazil and America. So it's a very full uh, career and I'm very grateful for it. But, yeah, it all started in the humble beginnings of a small country town. <laughs> now, I love that, and we're going to talk a lot about that because I know you're one of the first – you're the first female player to ever to play in South America and all these other amazing sort of stats and everything about you. But I want to talk about your junior days. Now, um, with juniors growing up in Leeton before you moved to Sydney, were you obviously playing against mixed boys and girls? And did you give the boys a hiding? Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah! I'm Don't be modest. Say I did. Don't be modest, Joey. <laughs> oh, I love playing against the boys. Look, I did get teased quite a bit because you know, we're all, or probably the boys got teased when they got beat by a girl. <laughs> um, but I was pretty proud of it. Look, I had an older brother, three years older than me, and 
Um, I remember when I was, you know, probably 10 and I'd just, we'd play plenty of games in the backyard and he'd be wanting me to come out and and play with him. And I I remember just storming off with tantrums because I lost and it just didn't register in my head that he's three years older, this 13-year-old um, you know, guy that was quite good sportsman in his own right, my brother. Um, but, you know, I thought it didn't matter who it was, I, I needed to win. I wanted to be the best. So that's where, yeah, in school as well and, and in the local sporting competition, I didn't care who it was. I wanted a good game. It meant that I usually had to um, compete against either older uh, older girls or, yeah, boys um, play. And usually, you know, back then I was um, – usually the, the only girl playing because I did play, you know, soccer and cricket, um, you know, some male-dominated sports back then. So, you know, it came with its own challenges as well, being the only girl and, and you know, I struggled a bit socially as I got older. But um, in terms of the sporting, I just couldn't get enough of it and I loved that the harder the challenge, the better. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And and in your eyes, it didn't matter if you were male or female, particularly growing up, you just wanted to play. Did you did you find that uh, some parents, particularly because you're quite you're very good, Joey, that they had an issue with you playing against boys or, you know, because you're a female? Well, I did have a, an interesting experience when I actually went for a primary school uh, soccer selection tryout and um, I was pretty much the only girl and, and they were uh, – I ended up getting selected to the, the last little – I think it was possibles and probables they used to have those, you know, last uh, teams that they play before they announce the final team and and people – usually people actually really supported me. They were like, wow, this – you know, the girl, you know, is, is just killing it with the guys – um, but then I actually didn't get selected one time and everyone was actually more than me and my parents. They were actually up in, in an uproar saying, what, why didn't she get selected? Are you serious? Is this because she's a girl? Um, so that was an interesting, I, I just kind of, I, I didn't really, it, I didn't really care either way. I mean, I didn't want to get into issues of, you know, it's not fair. It just was a game to me, whether I got selected or whatever, it didn't matter. I was more into the actual experience of the game. But, yeah, I mean, I get, you know, plenty of people coming up to me, you know, saying, oh, or, or you know, when I tell people that I played soccer or cricket, they'd be like, oh, can can girls actually play soccer? Mm, yeah. Um, so it was back in those days when, when you know, young girls um, – you know, didn't play, you know, all types of sports. They, were, you know, uh, played the the mainstream, whether it was netball or swimming. Um, but I, I probably, yeah, broke a few, broke down a few barriers with, with that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure you did. And I know, I know growing, growing up now for um, females and girls that there's so many possibilities and that sports aren't gender orientated, which is, I think is so powerful, but obviously, growing up when it wasn't and I know obviously 1996 when you made your debut at 17 what was it like leading up to that like I know you moved to Sydney and things like that but how tough was it trying to make it as a female in sport yeah well as I said I went to the same academy as Harry Kuehl when back when I was 13 and 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 following especially him because uh, he was a standout yeah it was obvious that he was just a very talented boy and was going to go very far. Um, so I, I kept a close eye on him because he was a similar age to me. And, it yeah, it ended up being uh, very frustrating for me to see him go on and, and make the millions of dollars. And I was still stuck, um, you know, scrubbing toilets and, and trying to make an ends meet while I was trying to play professionally um, but not getting the, the money for it and having to still work um, just the odd jobs here and there wherever I could fit it in. And that's where it was probably, yeah, I started to find a real tension between, you know, what what, what am I doing here? You know, why, why is this um, – why can't I, you know, be getting at least a, a bit of money to support my career just, just because I've a, I'm a woman – um, and not get, you know, acknowledged like the likes of uh, Harry Kuehl and, and the other guys. It's, yeah, it's caused a lot of tension over the years for me because on the one hand I've, I've always wanted to be appreciative of, of what I've done. Um, you know, I'm very grateful that I've been able to have the experiences as a Matilda, but the, the monetary issue still seems to be the big kicker because it's, um, you know, you, you're just committing so much of your life to to sport and to not get much in return just in terms of being able to, you know, to live a, a, a 
a decent life and and to be able to be not struggling all the time. Um, you know, that's probably the biggest tension and was probably in the end the reason why I had to retire um, at 29 uh, amongst obviously getting um, plenty of injuries as well along the way because of all the commitments. Um, but, yeah, just that, that monetary value, it still seems to be the big kicker um, that, you know, is the reason there's, there's a big barrier there. It, it, just in even in terms of, um, you know, reflecting on self-worth even, just going, well, you know, I, I'm obviously – I have, you know, I've been playing in World Cups, but obviously it's not it's not that good because I'm just a woman. You know, str- struggling yeah. with those thoughts um, is a constant as well. So is, would that be like? Because obviously, uh, there's I, I read a few articles, and I know our good mate uh, Craig Gunn was telling me. But you're representing Australia, and then you've got on the other hand Harry Kuehl, you know, over playing for Leeds United, getting millions and millions of pounds, and here you are cleaning toilets during the day and doing all these jobs just to find a way to pay for yourself to then go and play in the World Cups. Is there resentment there or what was it feeling like? Because at, at the end of the day, Joey, it's not fair. You're both representing Australia. You're both superstars. Um, how did you turn that around and, and still be grateful to play for Australia when, you know, you could see what was happening for obviously the males? Yeah, look, I I definitely made the choice, though, to say, you know what, because other girls at the time, you know, they were working full-time jobs and studying full-time, and I and I chose deliberately not to do that. I wanted to pursue the professional career, even if it was only paying, you know, very minimal. I remember the, f- the first cheque that I received was $166 from uh, oh. back when we... <laughs> Sorry to laugh, Joey, that's... <laughs> Yeah, no, 160. That was for the a month. month. So it a was month. like 40, was it like 40 something dollars a week? It worked wow. out to be. Um, and that's when we started to get funding for women's football when uh, Sydney was going to host the Olympics in 2000. So, you know, that was in the late 90s. And at that time, I mean, I was like cheering, woo, I've actually got, you know, paid for this. And oh. it was a big moment because you also, like I said, you're appreciative because, you know, before me, there was there was women that were paying to play for Australia, and certainly when I um, played for the Australian under 19s, I still had to sell lots of Raxel tickets to to buy my way over to you know the tournaments that we were going into. Um, so yeah, look, it's just it the, the resentment. I don't know if it's resentment or if it was just you know that's the way it was. Yeah. Um, but I definitely chose to still. I wanted to to put as much time as I could into professional life, even if, you know, it meant that I had to live off breadcrumbs yeah. as opposed to pursuing a full-time career in something else and just, you know, um, training part-time on the side. So I was probably one of the, the few to start off with actually pursuing a professional um, football career. And I'm glad now that it's come uh, a little ways where, where girls can at least well, they're still having to have about three different contracts to make up a full-time income, which is which is still quite sad, but it is on the way up. Like I say, mate, it's a tension between, you know, being frustrated and being appreciate um, appreciate what you've got. We always need to push to get more. Um, I'm not sure if it will ever be uh, equality for, for pay in the, the sporting realm between men and women because I feel like at some point the men are going to actually have to drop <laughs> yeah. drop their wages. Particularly when they keep going up so much, particularly in football yeah. and soccer, yeah. Exactly. So, it, it, you know, there's going to have to be at some point um, a discussion amongst everyone, starting at the top with FIFA. You know, they're still giving, you know, a lot of money to the, to the men's World Cup as opposed to the women's. Um, there's been other, you know, sponsors like Adidas, um, who have, you know, made sure that they're matching what they give to the men, to the women, which is very important. Things like that are going to make sure that, you know, this becomes a, a, a really a viable career for, for young girls to actually have dreams that, yes, I want to be a footballer. Awesome. Well, you know what? You're going to be well looked after. It's going to be difficult, but it, it'll be worth it as well. So that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, no, I love that. And and the one thing I took out of everything you just mentioned there, Joe, is your mindset. Now, you could have been resentful, you could have been anything, but at the end of the day, you turn that around. And I know it's probably really hard when you see um, the other lives that the males are living, but mindset's so important. And I know um, that that's a massive part of what you're doing now. But um, getting back to that, so from 1996 when you debuted as a 17-year-old to what you're seeing now in Australian sort of women's sport – 
What what's the massive difference you've seen? Obviously, pay's gone a little bit more from forty one dollars a week. Um, but <laughs> what what else have you seen evolve? Because obviously, women's sports really really improved. Not only improved, but the quality of money and endorsements is there since you know you started. That's right. Well, I think um, social media has really helped because uh, I think uh, mainstream media is still a little bit behind in in recognising that actually there are so many people around the world that love and follow women's sport and appreciate it. So the social media, I think, has helped kickstart a lot of those promotions and, and, yeah, you'll see a lot of the, the sports women now have huge followings. Um, and even the Women's World Cup, which, again, is going to go through the roof in France um, in the next month or so, it, it's just – it's grown, um, yeah, through through the media. And, and even – I know for myself, I, I turn on the TV and there's the AFL Women's League going for it. And I think when people actually visualise and see – how wonderful these, not only athletically, but I, I, because we've never been able to compete with testosterone women, you know, with what the men have Correct. in terms of the power, <laughs> power and speed. But like you say, in terms of mindset and even just tactically and trying to be smarter to make up that difference, we don't have the quickness um, or the power that a man, you know, can can switch a ball 50 metres um, from one side or the other effortlessly, sorry, um, you know, we have to find other solutions to be able to do that. So I think it's really tapped into, you know, the female psyche of, you know, working together as a team, which means, you know, being very strong with your relationships in in team environments. It means that tactically you need to be smarter. Um, it means that, you know, skill-wise you've had to, we have to come up with different solutions rather than just having to be able to pass the ball 50 metres. You know, you, you, you need to be able to, to find other ways. So I, I, I feel like being able to see, and that's what I saw when – when I saw these AFL women as well, just going, wow, that the game, the, the women's sport has developed so much recently because of this um, groundswell of participation now that girls are feeling like, you know what, it's, yeah, there's no, there's no gender on these sports anymore. I can have a go and they're being supported. And so the more girls that are getting out there, the more the game's developing and we're just seeing some really exciting um, different interpretations of sport to what obviously we appreciate what the men um, deliver but then there's this yeah this this different style of play if you like for how women are taking on sport and I think it's being very once people see it they're getting quite excited about how not only attractive the game is but actually the, the competitive honest nature of, of women getting out there and um and competing. So there's a lot to, I think, to look forward to. And the more that the media grabs a hold of it, um, the more that I think people are going to see and and become huge fans of women's sport, as is what's already happening. Yeah, and I, I so totally agree. And I know, obviously, tennis has been uh, massive for, you know, being equal and stuff for a long period of time. And I think, like you just mentioned, with um, not only the AFL, but I think particularly the big bash in cricket and the rise of the women's cricket team. Now, I obviously have a background in cricket, and I could very easily sit down and watch the women over the men. I absolutely love it, and I think it's amazing. And sort of getting to that, representing in Australia. So back to your debut, 17-year-old, 1996. How amazing was that to get your first cap for the Matildas, Joey? Yeah, look, I can still – isn't it the wonderful power of sport is to is to be able to hold these memories forever? I tell you, I don't have a good memory <laughs> as it is. But I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, but I can remember my debut, mate, and it was, it was special because it was against New Zealand and I was still um, – yeah, I was so young. I wasn't even really expecting to get on, but I just remember that – that first uh, training camp, I was absolutely buzzing. I could, I, it was like I had nothing to lose. I was this youngster, just fresh and and in there, and um, I just felt like I couldn't do anything wrong. And so, it, the, the coach just said. I remember talking with Tommy Samani, who's our great Matildas coach, for a long time. Later on, or actually after I retired, and I said, Tommy, why did you, why did you put me on so young? And he's like, Joey, I just couldn't keep you off the field. Like you just. <laughs> Um, buzzing, and so you know that debut. I play, played New Zealand, which was our a long time rival, and we managed to get one up over them. I managed to score a goal as well. I can still remember it, 
And, you know, it, it's it was just one of those moments like, it, you know, it wasn't like I was dreaming of it for so long because, like I said, as a girl, I didn't even really know there was a Matildas or an Australian team. It wasn't even called the Matildas then. But it was just part of that that step of, again, I just was so engaged in the experience and the competition and, and just wanting to be the best, wanting to win that, you know, that was um, – I look back now and that, that was a wonderful start. I couldn't have had it any better. Scoring on debut, I don't think it gets any better than that. Now, obviously 110 caps later and 27 goals after your first one, so 28 altogether, three World Cups. What was the highlight of playing not only for Australia but – in a World Cup, that would have just been incredible. Look, yeah, the World Cup is just nothing you've ever experienced because, especially in the women's game at that time, uh, my first World Cup was in in '99, and um, that was when it just started to boom. Um, I don't know if you if some some uh, viewers might or some viewers some listeners might <laughs> might remember back in 99 it was in the USA um Brandy Chastain the USA team won off a penalty shootout the 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 player Brandy Chastain ripped her shirt off when she scored the penalty and you know the the fitness of the girl just wowed everyone I think 100,000 in the stadium and she was twirling a, a shirt around and that was when it was like women's football had arrived on the world stage and so to be a part of that going from you know not playing in front of many people at all like barely a thousand to then playing in front of I remember 15,000 um in one stadium when we played Ghana and it was like most of them were Ghanaian supporters and when Ghana scored unfortunately for us but you I was just had to literally hold my uh, fingers over my ears because I'd never experienced noise like that before. So, you know, to be on uh, such a big stage like that, it was it was quite uh, awe-inspiring. It was I, I I must admit the World Cup for me wasn't my best performances, and I'm not sure if it was because it was such a big, a different experience to what we were just used to. You know going out there and playing, like I said, I used to just get engaged in the experience. But with all the hype around it, it was like, wow, this this um, is quite a lot to deal with. So, yeah, I played the 99 World Cup uh, 2003 and 2007 was my last one and that's when we actually made the quarterfinals um, and that was the first time. That was when probably the Matildas uh, started to get well-known in, into, you know, household names in Australia and that was that was a brilliant moment because even though again personally I didn't feel like I'd played my best tournament and by then I was starting to get riddled by these long term especially long term knee injury which was horrible but from a team perspective you know we started to feel this groundswell of support back home um, you know they actually were doing a documentary on us at the time which was brilliant we had them some exciting wins uh, we scored in the last in the last basically kick of the game against Canada to reach the the quarterfinals, it was just so exciting. And that those, like I said, the memories uh, are like I was. The, I could still remember being there. Um, they're that strong and powerful. And I'm just, yeah, I, I feel very fortunate for my place in history. Obviously, now you kind of thinking, oh, why well, wasn't I born ten years later? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, sure you, you do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, obviously very appreciative of what I did get to experience in those earlier years of, of women's football and women's sport getting on the map. Yeah, and I know that uh, obviously hindsight's awesome and you're like, geez, they're, they're doing so well now. And obviously you're finishing up and you probably did the hard yards. You did the preseason and then, you know, you let go of the batter and then they sort of reap the rewards of Joey Peters and all the great work he did. But um, was that your proudest moment in 2007 when you made the quarters? It was, look, probably in terms of the team, it really was a significant moment in time. Um, I think also I, I, my fondest individual memory would be scoring at the Athens Olympic Games against USA. Um, we uh, USA, just a powerhouse. It, I think we, we ended up playing 27, played them 27 times before the Matildas just recently in last year beat them. Um, we've only beaten them once, and but we did we drew uh, with them in the in the Athens Olympic Games, and I was man- managed to score a nice header to draw the game, and you know that was that was actually quite powerful that experience because I've got to tell you 
I don't know if you go much into visualization, Dale, but I, I didn't even know at the time before the Athens Olympics, I had this little clipping of the USA keeper, Brian Scurry at the time. And she was had this making this posing goal. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that's when I actually scored the header. It was like I could see that she was in that pose at the time. So it's almost like I wow. was I was setting uh, yeah, it's 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 very interesting really that yeah, I I managed to score and I don't know, you know, if that was any correlation, but for me, I was in that moment, I was leading up to that moment, you know, years out. Um um, but, yeah, that was really special because the U.S. team, like I said, they're just this powerhouse. It was their dream team. Mia Hamm, if people know, um, she was a legend of the of the game and that was her last tournament. They ended up winning the gold medal. And, you know, to score a goal against them, I remember after scoring, I was just running around like in a daze, just like, <laughs> what's this happened? <laughs> I probably should have got subbed off because I was like, woo, what just happened? So, yeah, no, that's, that, was a, that was a really nice memory. <laughs> so, you, and you just mentioned visualisation. Was, was that sort of around or was that a thing when, because I know it's massive now in sports science and people talk about yeah. visualising. They talk about it in business. They talk about it in every part of our life, Joey. But was that a big thing for you or was that just some freak dream you had? It, it literally was freak. No, there wasn't. There wasn't any. You know, this is early two thousands. I think. You know, we were starting to explore sports psycho- getting a sports psychologist in to support us, but not not that. I mean, that was. Yeah, I think that was kind of freak. But now, I still do it now with like. If I have a dream, I want to move. I want to get a farmhouse. So I have this picture of, of this. Good. You know, like a, a house on a farm and. And, um, you know, that I, I kind of I believe in that now, you know, the power of of just, you know, bringing your dreams to life if, if you know, you surround yourself, I guess, you surround yourself with the environment that you desire and, um, and somehow the universe <laughs> helps, uh, gives, you know, gives that a kick along for it to become reality. But that was certainly, I, I can say that that was one of those moments which it wasn't deliberate, but I know that, yeah, that was just so interesting the, having that up on my wall and then it, it coming true. That's I, I love that. And I know visualisation is massive now. And like you've got there, sort of like the vision board or the goals, you have a picture and you see it every day and it just reminds you of your purpose and what you're working hard for. So if people don't have those goals, they don't have key visions or things they want to do, that is definitely something you need to do. Now, you obviously mentioned, Joey, that uh, the U.S. powerhouse. I know that uh, women's soccer in the U.S. has always been big and they were sort of the pioneers of it. So what was it like playing, obviously, you played in Brazil, New York, Sweden. What were those experiences like in different countries? Well, yeah, again, a host of memories there. Um, You know, it was – and it was as much as it was brilliant uh, experience meeting lots of people, living in different cultures, um, still being able to play the game, you know, every day. Uh, it was still quite had its challenges. It's not necessarily a glorious life, the pro- professional life uh, of a of a sports person, because you, you're still quite, you know, isolated. I had to I had to go home in Sweden. I was living. They only have small apartments. I was living on my own there for three months. Um, uh, in New York, I was hosted by a family there. Um, but again, I it was just, it, it, in a big city, it can be still quite isolating. And um, I, I remember the times when it was like, oh, what am I doing here? So, you know, you balance that off with, you know, being able to play at um, a high level. Um, and like I said, the people that I met, especially in Brazil, I mean, I still keep in contact with people in Brazil and they don't even speak English. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness. They're just the, the most sweetest people. And, you know, it, again, it, women's sport, uh, probably because of we've had to come off the back of such adversity and, and we don't get supported that there is this inner strength um, or and just this connection and support that we can give each other, that we know what each other's going through. And, and these girls in Brazil, um, you know, football was a lifeline to them, even though they weren't getting that paid as much. It was basically giving them a roof over their heads. Um, so one girl even took us to her family hut and where their family lived. It was literally a mud, a mud hut and sleeping on the floor and, and those kinds of things. So it's a real eye-opener to appreciate, you know, what what we have here in Australia first off, but also to um, 
be able to connect with people like that, um, you know, what does it do other than can can change you as a person? And um, I feel, yeah, very privileged again and very grateful for the experiences that I've been able to have. Yeah, and I think exactly what you just mentioned there, that even though you didn't speak the similar language or there was a big barrier there, that at the end of the day, you know, that's what sport does. It's such an amazing thing and it's an avenue for us. And I know um, now that after football that you're so passionate about your coaching. So um, before we get into Gameplay Learn, because I I really want to talk about this, it's such an amazing program that you're running, but... um, what are some of the best qualities that you've obviously had so many good coaches, not only in Australia, but overseas and everything like that, Joey, what are some of the qualities that makes up a good coach? Well, that's a great question, Dale, because, and I've, I've come so far since I finished playing that I feel like I'm almost a different or different coach now moving into the coaching space from when I started, but also as a player, you know, how I experienced coaches and what I thought was was good coaching or what I thought was I needed for my training was very much um, down the lines of, of repetition-based um, technical instruction. Um, you know, I thought that the coaches that really were able to give me detail into, you know, things like how to receive the ball, how to keep the ball, um, very technically focused, I thought that was you know, what was most important in a coach. Um, but now, if you ask me now, I was able to actually look back and say, and I mentioned Tom Samani before, he's actually coaching the women's um, New Zealand national team in, in the in the Women's World Cup. And as much as he, he can be known for perhaps tactically not so um, advanced in, in how he sets up his team, just the player management-wise, I can remember now that, um, the relationship that I was able to have or just even the respect that I felt from him, that that is now what I feel like the most important thing is that um, the coach is actually very nurturing and can manage you but still give you such autonomy as a player. That was really what I, I was grateful for, that he wouldn't come and say, Joey, you want to give me all these details about what I needed to do. He actually let he, he um, left me alone. <laughs> he left me alone and just said, keep doing what you're doing, um, you know, how are you feeling today? And it was those that I, I, at the time, I, again, I, I didn't feel like I valued that enough because you're kind of searching for, oh, what do I need to do better and give me instructions? But now I realise, hang on, I had it all inside of me. I just needed a coach to draw it out of me. And and that's what I'm appreciating more now in the coaching is actually who's in front of you. Don't You don't have to give them any answers. They've got the answers themselves. They are the experts of, of their own life and their own body. And it's just about drawing that out from them, I think, is, is much more powerful. Yeah, and I, I know exactly what you just mentioned. It's all about relationships and everybody's different. And um, at the end of the day, if you tell somebody to do something, Joe, they're going to go, no, I'm not doing that. But if you allow them to figure it out themselves, they're going to go and do it. So um, I think that's great advice for anybody, not only coaches, but parents, teachers, anyone in the business world is that uh, – building those relationships and not only that, allowing people to develop themselves, like you've just mentioned, is so important. Now, Gameplay Learn, let's talk about this. And why I love it so much is that there's such an emphasis on fun, you know, keeping sport fun and it's a new way of coaching. Why is fun so important, Joey? Oh, wow. Well, uh, where do we start with that one, Dale? I mean, fun is just taken for granted, isn't it? It's like, oh, you know, if they're having fun, then it seems to be so separate from learning. Oh, they're having a bit of fun. You know, that's nothing to do with learning and performance, surely. Um, but what what I feel like people are yet to grasp is that if they are having fun, then there's going to be all these learning benefits that they probably can't even articulate at the time. Um, but they are doing it through the experience. So it's actually... I mean, what is fun? It's basically enjoying the experience being, for me, it's being in the moment um, as much as possible. You're just fully engaged, fully enjoying, fully connected to the experience and to the other people around you. You know, that's fun. And so if you if we can actually see that someone is having fun, even if they articulate it as being fun, 
then we know they're right in that hot spot of learning without even saying, oh, well, what did you learn today? Or what outcomes are we are we working towards today? As soon as you start bringing those things into it, you know, does that make something fun? Well, from my experience, you know, especially with kids or young players, um, that sense of work, I know as, a, as, a, as an adult, we, you know, we, we thrive on that. But if we could actually turn it around and say, rather than work, let's have fun. How can we have fun today? in our in in our work then we'd see so much more benefits like I said that you probably can't even articulate because you are so engaged in that experience and if and yeah if if we can if we can keep engaged in that experience then you're going to get the most out of it so that's what I love about focusing I say focus on the fun and the learning will come oh I love that (laughs) (laughs) That that is so true. And isn't it, I reckon it's sad that um, if people seem to be having fun, it's like they're not working or they're not learning. Like, is is that just, uh, is that me or is that a common common issue? It seems to be common, Dale. I'm hoping it's less common (laughs) because people like me and you are are spreading the word that, look, actually, it's all about fun. It's all about if we're having enjoyable experience, like I said, you're totally engaged, you're starting to connect with, with others, you're being confident yourself in um, in what you're doing. You're obviously growing competencies in whatever task you're associated with. Um, and I think that's, that's a key as well. It's not just fun. Well, I mean, people are so focused on outcomes. Do we really need to articulate uh, an outcome, this is what we're working on? Or can we actually promote an experience like a game? Um, you know, if you're having a game, oh, what are we going to get out of this? Well, we're playing a game, you know, isn't that enough? Yeah. <laughs> and the experience and, and and what we get out from actually playing a game, whether it's competing against someone, building our own competencies, our own confidence, um, connecting with others. I mean, these are the things that, you know what, you probably can't see them. That's yeah. probably why people don't get it because it's not necessarily the outcome that you can see, um, you know, little Johnny's moves from here to there because now he can dribble through all the cones. Um and he's gotten better at dribbling through cones, you know, it's harder to measure. But if we understand the value of it, then we'd be focusing, like I said, more on having fun, realising that the learning's coming by having fun. Wow. Joey, that is, I could just bottle that up. That is an amazing <laughs> message for not only coaches, but as I said, anybody in life. It, it's got to be fun exactly like you just said. Uh, I love that. Now, obviously, um, Gameplay Learn, your coaching is based in New South Wales, and we've got listeners. I know I'm in Victoria. We've got listeners all around the world. Um, f- for people who can't get there, you've got online course. Do you want to talk about that? Because I can guarantee people are jumping through the iPhone app or Spotify, wherever they're listening to this, and they'll, I want more. Thanks, Dale. Yeah, look, I'm I'm introducing an online course because I do have people around the world that um, I want to be able to equip, whether it's coaches or parents and players, just to understand. And I love that you've you've focused on fun because it almost is a fun framework. It's it's gameplay learn mean is a is a catchphrase or a framework that means design the game. Let them play, watch them learn. Ooh, so yes. the, the the website is gameplaylearn.net. Now I'm running courses uh, online so you can join wherever you are in the world. And it's just gonna be it's just starting off simply simple at the moment. And that's that's the that's the best thing about gameplay learn. As much as it's very complex, all this human development and the science behind it, and, and trust me, I've done uh, or like you do, it's almost like we we, we love researching all the, the science behind it, but to be able to deliver to people something simple that they can actually implement, whether they're a coach, whether you're in the backyard, I do it with my kids. Let's go game, play, learn, guys. <laughs> and it's basically let's, let's, let's make up a game and, and we're involving, you know, our players or our kids in actually making up the game because we know that they're that 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 part of it is, is what's funnest. Yes, yeah. that's the fun bit, isn't it? Yep. And then we play the game. I mean, there's nothing better than actually playing, like I said, and competing and and scoring goals and stopping them. And um, and then what when we say watch them learn, I, I want to give a great emphasis. So whether we're playing with them or whether we're coaching, just that emphasis on actually observing um, our learners. I don't think that coaches 
or, or us as, as teachers, we actually observe enough. We're so interested in getting in there and saying, okay, this is what's happening or this is what we need to do now, guys. Why can't we just actually value just observing more and seeing, like I said, more like with fun how it just happens? Um, you can see, you know, we really need to pay attention to how the, how is these players connecting with each other? Is someone struggling a little bit with so- socially? Um, is are they struggling a little bit with competency-wise or confidence? How are we going to know that unless we actually stand back a little bit? Or if you can do... Uh, <laughs> I enjoy doing both, like playing, say, uh, with the kids, but also being able to say, oh, I wonder how that kid's going. Uh, I might need to watch him for a little bit longer here. And so that's why um, it's it's a simple framework, but it's powerful in that, you know, it covers uh, everything of a a training session or or an event that you, you put on, but it also goes deeper. And that's what in the online course, you actually go um, further, we go further into the the values behind um, what the approach means. So it is like the power of play, for example. What what you know, let them play. Well, you know, play is that really powerful? It, it's like fun. People we we find it hard to articulate the value of play. So we go into you know being able to explain that in the course. Um, you can, we can have some discussions about what they're experiencing and try out the gameplay learn way. And also we talk a bit about the common coaching methods. So we do talk about, you know, you know, pe- uh, people instructing and getting in there amongst it as opposed to, you know, observing. So there's, um, I'd love, yeah, love people to join me on, on the, the GPL course. Yeah. Head over to gameplaylearn.net. Um, I'm a big Twitter fan as well. So we can get on there and really, um, Try and simplify, you know, our coaching and teaching um, for the kids' sake or for our learners' sake, um, as well as being confident that it's it's really underpinned by some powerful principles that are, seem to be yet to be fully tapped into. Yeah, awesome, Joe. I love that. And I'll have links in the show notes. If you go to um, our podcast page on energetic.education, you'll be able to get a link. Uh, so you can go check that out. And um, I know just listening to the passion in your voice there. Now, Joe, I've got a couple of questions to finish up with, but one I want to go back to that you mentioned when you're growing up that you played seven sports in one year. Now, um, what I'm finding more and more is particularly with the cost of sport, um, and the, the crazy lives that kids lead these days, that they may focus on one sport at an early age. Now, I think this is ludicrous because you learn so much from different sports and everything like that. What's your take on that? And um, how, do you, how did those seven sports growing up help you obviously become a Matilda and everything you've done? Yeah, look, I, I, uh, and Gameplay Learn is a massive advocate of multi-sport and, and that's why the principles of Gameplay Learn actually covers all sports, but it also recognises the value of a diverse um, development experience. So, yes, I played seven sports, but it was only because it was a local town. There was something else to do. <laughs> it was very it was very, it was very accessible. Um Whereas these days, like you're saying, the cost of it, and I think more is the time involved. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a little bit different now. Uh, what I'd love to see is actually, you know, a, a football club. What I'm working with is, is sports, sporting clubs. So you might be a football club, but let's actually add some multi-sport experience in the football club. So, you know, the kids are turning up to a session and they're playing some football, but they're also playing a bit of basketball or they're playing a striking game with, you know, hitting the ball because we know, we know now that to be able to, to transfer skills, to transfer different experience of different games, the principles um, behind, you know, um, uh, the teamwork is the same or perhaps you're playing an individual sport like tennis. There's so many different skills there that it's just adds to, to the overall experience and skills of the person. So uh, diversity is, is still, I think very untapped in sport because we want to go straight into specializing. But I mean, I'm sure you've talked with people about the research that, that, you know, happens and I, and, and my um, story actually going from the primary school experience to the high school experience where I only just did 
I did football and cricket, but cricket soon had to drop off as well because there was so much commitment with with the one sport. And that's when I started having the injury problems because yeah. we don't realise yeah. yeah. that um, by specialising and, and, I mean, the other side of it is that when it's a drills-based approach, then we get more repetition by doing the same thing. Like if you're doing 100 passes to someone five metres apart, you're doing the same uh, the same action and movement, you know that that's that then adds stress on those joints. So if you can have a multi, a game experience, or the the term I'm sure you're familiar with, the repetition without repetition. Um, so you're still doing lots of passes, but it's in a game context. So each one of them is different. Just the same as a multi-sport experience, you're doing lots of repetition of say hitting a ball. But it might be a game of cricket, might be a game of tennis, it might be um, a game of football, striking the ball. They're the, that's so much more beneficial. So I'd love to see sports or sporting clubs bring the multi-sport to their experience. Um, the other thing I would say is that more, more than to, to parents especially, more than putting your kid into a lot of sports – actually think about make sure there's time for them to play unstructured yeah. in the backyard yes. or in the neighbourhood or in the school playground. Make sure that I feel like is getting lost now because they're going straight into the organised sports and unfortunately majority of organised sports are straight into instructional, technical-based, um, you know, very structured sessions as opposed to, the again, the power of play, of unstructured play in the backyard. Oh, so, so, yeah, so true, a lot Joey. Around that. <laughs> oh, that, and I, I could talk about that for days with you as well. And I know that it's becoming more and more evident that you know just instructions and standing behind a cone and doing drills um, isn't the way to build engagement, and it doesn't lead to lifelong learn as a sport. And um, that's why play, fun, they're the most important things. And that's one thing that people should be able to take away from today's chat. Now, Joey, before I let you go, I know you're super busy. I've got two questions that I like to finish uh, my interviews off with, and. First one is, if you could look back to 18-year-old Joey, so, um, and you give yourself one bit of advice that everything you've learned over the years, uh, what would that one bit of advice be for 18-year-old yourself? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I, well, I love what we've just been talking about and just play, Joey. You know, I was so interested in, in doing, you know, the repetitions and the drills um, that I forgot at, at some point how to just, like I mentioned earlier on, I was just engaged in the ex- play experience. So I would have probably say to Joey, you know, just don't forget the power of play. But also, if I could add another one, yeah. I would actually say, you know, Joey, I know, because 18-year-old was when I was, I obviously just started playing for the Matildas, but I'd also say to young Joey, Joey, make sure you have a balance in your life that you don't put <laughs> don't put all those eggs in the one basket because um, I know now uh, I'm not going to mention my age, but I am quite considerably older. <laughs> <laughs> and um, now, I, I, look, I'm still actually, to be honest, I'm still struggling a little bit with some, some basic um, – just even if it's domesticated or just learning the, you know, the the normal lifestyle that can get kind of missed when you just go launching into one particular area. For me, it was the sporting lifestyle. I was going from football field to hotel to airports and I kind of missed the whole um, life, other life experience. So I would have mm. said, Joey, you know, I know you're trying to put life, uh, give this to the professional realm but don't forget your studies or don't forget just having another area, a stronger family connection or social connection away from the game because I think balance gets lost in this pursuit of, um, you know, being elite. Wow. That's, uh, mm. and, and that sort of goes exactly what you're saying with diversity, you know, making sure exactly. you try a lot of different sports. And I think that does come back to life as well. Now, um, obviously, amazing career and everything you've done and really set up women's sport, particularly in football for the Matildas and everything they're doing now. What's your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for? And I know you've got a lot of time to go, Joe, but when it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Gee, I, you know, I've have never had someone ask me that. <laughs> there you go. I, I feel very so blessed. I, I, yeah. Look, and, and that, that's such an interesting one, isn't it? I, I think, um, 
Well, people often tell me that, yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate about <laughs> what I say, but I think um, along with that, it's it's being able to, to speak and, and have a voice. You know, I feel like that's been a personal struggle of mine over the years um, is to actually stand up and have a voice and and to be, you know, be brave enough to use it even if some people are, you know, don't like what you say. I guess it's got to do with integrity, doesn't it? And so, you know, I've, I've copped a lot for, for you know, using my voice or having opinions on things. Um, and but I, I would I would like to be remembered for you know what she she was she had integrity. She you know she didn't always make people happy, but she stood up for what she believed in and she encouraged others. You know, and especially women to have a voice, um, and hopefully. You know, just um, yeah, empower, empower women, empower people. You know, to 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 be themselves and you know to keep pursuing what they feel is right in life. Oh, that's mm. so powerful! What a what a lovely way to finish off such a powerful <laughs> chat, Joey. And I really appreciate your time. So obviously, we can connect with you at gameplanlearn.net. What about your socials? Where can we find you if people want to reach out to you after this? Yeah, look, I lo- like I said, I love Twitter. So it's at Joey Peters Ten um, is my Twitter handle. I also have Gameplay Learn on Twitter, um, Facebook as well, and Instagram. I'll put some some interesting videos up there again on Gameplay Learn or uh, at Joey Peters. Um, and I'm trying to get into LinkedIn as well, but that's a bit too business-like for me. I like the fun of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and also, you know, I'm, I'm happy to uh, – joey at gameplaylearn.net as well if you want to drop me an email. And, and let's connect because it's great to hear people, um, you know, looking for something more than just the status quo and, and, and striving to change, you know, and, and evolve the sporting landscape rather than just, you know, keeping on with traditional methods that we've always, always done. Yeah. So I'd love to connect with everyone out there. Perfect, Joe. And just uh, I'll have all those links in the show notes. Um, and, Joe, just before you go, thank you so much for your time today. And um, I'm inspired just by hearing your passion about everything you're doing, not only your career, that's amazing, but I think Gameplay Learn has even bigger potential to have a bigger impact around the world. And that's why I really encourage people to go check out the website, sign up for the online course, because you can just tell by the passion in Joey's voice that um, this is something special and it's something that's going to change your coaching. And not only that, the experience of the athletes and maybe your kids or anyone in the future. So, um, Joey, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute blast. Oh, you're a legend, Dale. Thanks so much, mate. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. (laughs) 